Hello, everybody. You're very welcome to a very special episode of FNI Rap Chat, Ireland's film and TV podcast. Um, yeah, this is the hundredth episode, uh, and you're <laughs> you're in the good company of uh, myself, Paul Butler Lennox, and uh, himself. Paul Webster, how are you all doing? Uh, yeah, so um, the coronavirus is forcing us to be a bit creative so paul is at his place i'm at mine and we're doing this over the phone and then recording separately and putting it all together so um yeah we just wanted to introduce you to this 100th episode of fni rap chat um we just we were hoping to do a big event uh but for obvious reasons that's not going to ahead but maybe sometime down the line when everything's back to normal we will be able to do that but for now we thought it'd be a good time to kind of look back and do a bit of a retrospective um what are some of the big things that you've taken away from the experience paul and kind of looking back at um the kind of people that we've had on well i think that um i mean so much i'm i mean uh, I suppose one one of the big kind of learnings about all this is that kind of everybody, despite the level uh, level of experience, is kind of coming from the same place, and uh, we're all kind of in this together. Not unlike what's happening, I guess you know, um, in the world out there at the moment. I mean, it's uh, everybody suffers from the same anxieties, the same ups and downs, and it's kind of humbling to see everybody in that. Uh, in that mode when they come in and have a chat with us uh, it's really it's uh it's it, number one it's a great humbler for 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 us and we all need to be taken down a peg or two from time to time but also it's it was it's um um it's also exciting uh, talking to new people and seeing what they're up to and kind of getting the inside scoop on uh, you know the advances on, in people's careers and, and what they're kind of working on and stuff like that so several several different uh, things for different reasons, but primarily everybody. And you know, you'll often hear, "Oh, such and such is very nice." But everybody, I, I, we, I, I haven't had a single negative experience with anybody that we've interviewed so far. So that's really quite wonderful. What about yourself, there? Yeah, I guess it's just that it's been so relatable, and that's always what we started. Why we started this, you know, was to have to put these kind of conversations in an Irish context that is useful. And and inspiring as well, um, and seeing people working with the same challenges that we're working with. It is a different climate to working in America or Canada or England. You know, it's a small pool. Um, so to learn from other people who are who are working in the same same environment as you, I think that's invaluable. And I think that's if any kind. Uh, the big takeaway or something that I take pride in and what we've been able to achieve with it. And, um, and it's just been great for meeting people, <laughs> which has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, it's been great for the old contact. Well, you know, <laughs> wouldn't put it that exactly that way, but just, yeah, I guess expanding the network and, uh, um, you know, we've made friends through this. You know, it's it's a great excuse to just call someone up and go, "Oh, I really liked your film. Could you come and talk more about it?" Um, and people have been so generous with their time, and um, I think like so many people, we've we've kept in touch with afterwards, uh, which is great. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, people are. 
uh, just even some of the feedback has been really kind of overwhelmingly positive and it's been this podcast has been a huge linchpin in terms of creating kind of trust in the community and kind of validating what Film Network Ireland kind mm. of is so it kind of ties everything together quite nicely I mean it it, it shows that um, one thing, the kind of the remit with Film Network Ireland in general terms is to, we are a um, a grassroots, it's kind of cliche, but kind of uh, grassroots, the big shoots kind of organisation. We don't, um, we don't, uh, we certainly don't diversify, like we don't discriminate, we don't, uh, whatever level of experience you have, you're, you're welcome to come to our, you know, our, our classes and seminars and we, our remit is very much kind of hands hands out and, you know, open mind environment where everybody is kind of, everybody has to start somewhere. So it's very important to um, show, you know, the general public, regardless of what level of experience they're at, when, when they engage with Film Network Ireland, that everybody is welcome. And I think that's... Um, um, what the community has been kind of crying out for and I think what what this shows is that a lot of these people who come on the podcast regardless their level of experience are uh, human beings with the same kind of hopes and fears and it's amazing how uh, one thing I've noticed as well is um, how open people particularly in the podcast but also people who get, get involved in terms of a mentorship perspective in, in Film Network Ireland how willing they are to kind of send that lift back down and help people out and encourage people and motivate people and uh, and kick people in the arse where need be. And it's really quite wonderful and humbling to be part of the podcast and then, uh, you know, in a, in a wider sense, the kind of general film community here in Ireland is quite fantastic. Yeah, and we've, we've grown it a lot from the humble beginnings. Uh, we were kind of... Uh, we didn't really have a home for the place, but we wanted to get started. And I know we have improved the quality, even just little things like the audio and things like that. Um, and we're hugely grateful to this help and support that we got from Headstuff, the Headstuff Podcast Studio. Um, so it's been, you know, I, I think we we really appreciate uh, the people who listen and have stuck with us and uh, people who recommend us to other people and anytime we go to an event a film event people will come up to us and say oh we really really appreciate the, the podcast and people really get what we're trying to do and that means a hell of a lot to us no it certainly does um, i mean if if you were to go right back and just to you know thank some people that kind of helped out i mean there was obviously alwyn uh walker uh, who was it's it's weird to kind of <laughs> roundabout journey in which we've landed in, in terms of our kind of full full time uh, kind of home with, with, with the podcast all one used to run Westland Studios Westland Studios of course was acquired by the podcast studios in which now we're based so we kind of started there and um, and then eventually came back there to, to record our content so we're we're incredibly grateful to Alwyn who who kind of took a chance on us at the start and gave us a kind of a home to record some bits. And then uh, the Headstuff Podcast Network, Alan Bennett and, 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 and Paddy have been just incredibly su supportive and any kind of harebrained schemes we have, they back us to the hilt. So we're really appreciative of that. Equally, Wildcard Distribution have been really fantastic, not just uh, kind of sharing our stuff online, but just giving us prizes and 
DVDs and su- supporting us, generally speaking, and, and and in lots of different ways and helping us acquire guests and so on. And, you know, um, Ray Mongi also has been a tremendous support and, and, uh, and also... Um, now Colin, uh, Colin Brown at Film Equipment Store slash Hire um, has stepped on to kind of support us and, and, and sponsor us as well. And he's a fantastic, fantastic supporter of Irish film and TV. Uh, anyone who's rented equipment from will testify to that. And there's been numerous people over over, over the kind of last... And I, it, it, <laughs> the last couple of years, it's it's it seems like only yesterday we did the first one, but, you know, here we are. Yeah. Um, Paul, highlights. Who's been great? Who... Look, everybody's been great, but, like, what kind of interviews, uh, from your own perspective, kind of stand out? Yeah, well, we, I'll be talking more about the ones, uh, taking some clips, but... Uh, Going back to the early days of, you know, I remember Nick Kelly was the first person that we had on and it was kind of an experiment and uh, it's great guest, just kind of fresh off his first feature film, um, uh, The Drummer and the Keeper. Um, and a lot of, like, just a lot of, I think the timing of the podcast, there's, there seems to have been a, a real coming of age of Irish film and there's been so it's been great to be able to get filmmakers coming off the back of just finishing a film and kind of help support the film you know so people like Lee Cronin uh we had him kind of just when he just finished the edit on a hole in the ground that was exciting um uh and then a lot of filmmakers you know that are at different stages in their journey so like uh, we spoke to Kate Dolan last year, and she's gone on. She's currently making her her feature film, um, and then talking to kind of the kind of intergenerational thing. So, uh, like we kind of have a lot of filmmakers kind of from our generation, and then we've filmmakers uh, who kind of came would have came up through the industry in the 90s and the 2000s when Ireland was a very different place for making films and it's great to kind of talk about the contrast and um, the different challenges that we face um, uh, so yeah it's it's hard to kind of <laughs> think about it all you know we've had so many and everyone is so so different um, but uh, yeah just in general I guess um just the kind of learning from people in terms of like one of the big difference between people who are making stuff uh, constantly is just the amount of projects and the amount of ideas that they have on the go. Um, so like Kieran Cassidy would be someone uh, who'd stand out there who has so many different projects. He has podcasts, he's got documentaries, he's just written. Um, he wrote a script that's that is about the Tour de France or the, the uh, that w- happened here that's you know that's coming out now so that's I think that's the big takeaway for me as well that we've learned from filmmakers is just have you need such a strong work e- ethic and you need so many different projects mm-hmm. yeah I think w- 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 from my from my own perspective it's been wonderful speaking learning about different departmental roles um um, in 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 much more detail and kind of how everything ticks um, behind the scenes in different ways has been for me. I mean, examples of that are numerous. I mean, it's fantastic having someone on 
you know, who can talk about production design. I mean, Sheila Hearn, who's on, uh, that was a a really interesting, it's kind of, I suppose, an honourable mention in in terms of the content. So listen back to that one. That was a really fantastic one, as was kind of Jill Beecher's one, um, you know, coming off the back of, say, working on a, with a small team, working with Quentin Tarantino and coming back to Dublin and then just the, uh, being open to kind of work on smaller Irish stuff in the back of that and just loving mm-hmm. the work is really, really inspiring. As well as that, I mean, you know, even we have, we've had a couple of composers in as well. Um, it's great to kind of see how Irish, the Irish kind of dysphoria are doing in the States or further afield, the likes of kind of Emer Kinsella. And again, kind of turning your hand to... Um, different things to be creative and not uh, um, not seeing a difference between being of service creatively in some capacity elsewhere. Um, just you know, not you know, people who have get up and go and not wait for the phone to ring. Uh, Emer is uh, is working quite a lot in LA, but she also did kind of like a viral video where they did like a kind of a, a piss take on the. Violin, the violin uh, uh, scene from Titanic when the ship's gone down in Walmart a couple of weeks ago, and just seeing that kind of ingenuity and just you know being and again it shows also the kind of Irish sense of humour and uh, self-effacing nature of kind of who we are as a people is really uh, inspiring to see. So that kind of thing, um, as well as yeah, I mean I've always said this about the podcast where it's not. Our podcast is FNI Rap Chat is not a press junket podcast. Although we have people that are coming on, you know, talking about their films that are coming up or their shows or whatever they're working on, it's very much about their own individual experiences and that being of benefit to other people listening, so that we can, you know, all rise together. Um, a rising tide raises all boats, kind of thing. So, I mean, there's been numerous, numerous podcasts for different reasons. I mean, having even having someone like John Connors on, um. You know, just lighting a fire under everybody, including himself, and lighting a fire to literally setting fire to the establishment in a way, as well. Uh, just hearing that firsthand is, is is quite exciting as well, and numerous other people for different reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been great. Um, lots lots of every day of school yeah. day. Kind it's of a good time to thank our listeners. We. Um really loyal fan base there, and uh, we'd love to ask you to just. Take a minute at this stage to uh, to share it to share the podcast with anyone that you think uh, would find it useful. Um, that's all we wanted. But this is just to get it in front of the right people, the right ears that where it actually helps them. And uh, I know this is something that I would if <laughs> if we weren't making it, we'd we'd be listening to it. You know, so uh, um, just share it uh, anyway send it to someone that you think uh, rate and review all those things actually really help um, if you take takes a few minutes on iTunes or whatever um, they're actually a massive help uh, and yeah you can also support us if you want to give us a few quid uh, what's the address Paul? Yeah, if you want to head, if you want to support FNI, um, you can head over to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI. Um, you can listen to us on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and of course on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Um, just in other kind of FNI related news, um, we have a couple of initiatives kind of running at the moment. We have a short screenwriting competition called Gimme Five, which is centered around this kind of 
drastic change we're all experiencing in our lives right now with this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it's very much an uh, initiative to keep people busy. So if you'd like to kind of take part in that, hop on over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI. And if you buy us three coffees and send us on a five page script to info at wearefni.com. Um, uh, if you want to donate those three coffees, the proceeds of all of those admissions will go to a winning script that we select and a runner up. So it's just a little incentive. It's not about uh, monetizing it. It's just a little incentive to get people to uh, write some material. And who knows what might come of those little projects. So get involved with that. Uh, equally, we have a uh, we have um, we, we'll be running a number of networking online networking uh, nights with hop in uh, so keep an eye on our FNI Facebook page FNI uh, uh, Facebook page which is www.facebook.com forward slash film network Ireland uh, Instagram forward slash film network Ireland and at uh, FNI underscore film on Twitter so keep an eye for that uh, we, we'll have a number of those uh, replacing our classes and then later on um, over the next couple of weeks we'll be, running, we'll be running some online courses as well so engage with us on social media drop us an email if you just want to chat and equally if, um, if anybody is kind of feeling incredibly isolated don't, you're not on your own we're here uh, myself and Paul individually if you want to drop us an email that'll reach that'll reach us um, uh, we're here to be of service uh, kind of to the community uh, I'd recommend listening back to our mindfulness episode uh, uh, the mind yourself episode uh, previously as well uh, it might give you some help, some tips in terms of how to cope with kind of being on your own and self quarantine and, and, and so on. Um, reach out to a friend or you know uh, you know Zoom call as many people as possible and see what they're up to, see what they're working on, and and tell them what you're working on. Yeah, um, yeah. So kind of brings us to the show. So we've just we've each kind of taken a selection of clips. Uh, so that's what you're, what you're going to hear next. There's no disrespect to the people that we didn't include. We just we wanted to kind of give a, a good taste of the show. Um, but in general, just uh, go back. There's a big back catalogue there to go back through. And there you won't be disappointed. There's so many. Uh, if you're new to this, um, there's been so many great uh, conversations. So we just, yeah, that's where all we want to do is just try and give a bit of a taste and maybe give a bit of a reminder of uh, some of the shows from our back catalogue. Yeah, so uh, keep an eye out and an ear out and ear to the ground. Uh, we'll be having our live podcast to celebrate our 100th episode in the Super Saver Oil in Little uh, on Parnell Street <laughs> at the end of all this. So come and join us then. Uh, all joking aside, we will be having a big kind of networking event party to celebrate uh, our freedom at the end of all this. Freedom! Uh, so yeah uh, keep an eye out for that keep support supporting us and uh, yeah we'll jump into our clips here this is Paul's selection and uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll be on then a little bit later on to tell you a little bit about my uh, selection uh, okay yeah we hope you enjoy these um, stay safe look after each other call each other up and uh, be good
So the first clip I've chosen goes all the way back to episode number 53 with Ruan McGann. Um, Ruan is well known for doing a lot of the kind of big, epic, historical documentary series like the Irish Revolution of 1916. Um, I believe he's currently in the works on uh, shows on the famine, on uh, the civil war and things like that. And uh, he's an amazing filmmaker, an amazing documentary documentarian and an incredible storyteller in his own right um so this clip uh tells the story of when he and his brother were making a documentary in uh colombia and ended up getting uh separated by an angry mob and uh they were saved by a michael collins phone card of all things it's a it's a cracker of a story my brother Moncon and I, we, we made I know, about 40, 50 documentaries for Chichi Gahar and they, they involved us just going randomly around the world. Is that man? Yeah, yeah there's a lot of them. Wow. And, um, and, and we'd, so we'd choose a place and we'd kind of figure out a journey and then the only thing, we, our main aim was to celebrate the human race right. uh, in all its guises. That was the, that was the brief. Yeah. So we go to South America and we end up in a town called Neva, which is the very bottom of Colombia. And Colombia at the time was a little bit more dangerous is now. <laughs> Far and all that, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, and there was a big protest going on. So we came in on the bus, so we had no money, so we would travel by bus, right? Mm-hmm. Backpackers, um, and we go through the town bus. And I go, oh my god, we got to film this because this is real. This is this is the this is the edge that we were hoping to yeah. find in Colombia. Neva's right down the bottom, so we need a day left in Colombia, so I wanted to get it right. Yeah. So we we get to our our awful hotel, dump everything we have that's that's precious. Actually, give it to the manager because the the place we you couldn't lock the doors, and we mm, go back into town with our equipment and start filming the protest but instantly we become the focus of the protest uh people think we're americans we're the media we're everything that's wrong with the world and they start shouting at us and hitting us and then seconds later we're pulled apart from each other and all the equipment is taken from us like everything is pulled off us and you're being lifted and now you're in the middle of the whole you know you've become well i know what you, you know your father to 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 people's anger wow. and ire and I'm sort of going, like, how the, how the hell do we, you know, what do we do? What do we do? Passports are left in the back of the hotel, can't say we're Irish, they think we're American. I, you know, there's nothing, I can't speak Spanish. Moncon speaks a little Spanish, but he's now about 50, 60 feet away from me in the middle of a massive crowd. Um, so I'm going, what do I do? What do I do? And, and I was kind of proud of my involvement with the, with the Michael Collins film. And, long, well, even though we did have mobile phones back then, but we also had another form of communication, which was the standard telephone phone, right? Right. And... Uh, you'd call boxes in, in, in town and you wouldn't use coins, they had little cards you got, like a phone card, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm explaining this in detail for the younger audience out there <laughs> yeah. who don't know, because I'm a very old person, right? So, 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 and, and sometimes these like stamps, these, these call cards might be themed and I'd found one that was themed with the Michael Collins film, so Liam Neeson was on it and he's up there, that famous poster was fist in the air, Liam Neeson punch in the air, and I'd kept that in, oddly in my breast pocket. just shows you how, how much I love making that film, yeah. and, or proud of it, I suppose. And uh, so I remember this, and I go, oh, so get my hand, I can't, because I'm being held and by, by many, many people, but I struggle, put my hand into my top pocket, pull out this thing and go, look, because it's got era on it, Ireland. So I go, look, Irlanda, Irlanda, Irlanda. And one of them goes, oh, Miguel Collins, Miguel <laughs> Collins. <laughs> That's magic. You are free to go. <laughs> Sorry, Paul, to, just to your story. Oh, magic. They just absolutely... one, one image and they, they know who we are, they know <sighs> who we're about. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And that was it. Mm, that's it. We equipment came back. <laughs> Carry on. Come, come for dinner. As you were. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. So next clip 
I've chosen is from episode number 42 with Mary Kate and Rachel O'Flanagan. Um, we always wanted to get these two on the show and uh, it took us ages in terms of schedule to get them both at the same time. And uh, it was really worth it. Brilliant chat about writers, working with writers, writing. Um, Mary Kate especially is able to uh, talk about being on both sides of the of the aisle in terms of being a writer, but also being an editor and working with writers. So this clip is is about that and how they married the two, and uh, they give some really excellent advice for writers. I would just say, and this is again bringing my own experience of yeah. being a writer to the to it, that you know if I'm there and you know my script editor who is always Rachel, um, <laughs> says to me you don't need these 25 pages. I'm like, ah, I miss my best friend's hen weekend because I stayed home working on those 25 pages. And there's this great line in there and this nice little bit of business and I don't want to chuck it out. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it's an eight-page or ten-page outline and Rachel says, you don't need these three paragraphs, I go, oh, yeah, I can see that. And I chuck it, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's getting that bare bones of story working. And then when you've got a screenplay, I mean, sometimes less experienced people like when you're saying to them you know i couldn't read this i couldn't understand this they explain it to you again and we're saying that's great but it's not on the page Mm -hmm. and they explain to you again it's okay to not know you know what they're but really what they're saying is that it's it's the reader's fault that they didn't understand it Mm -hmm. and it rarely is you know, it rarely is. The most common thing... You're not going to be in the room with the commissioners or the financiers mm. explaining what your script... Yeah. And God forbid you would be in there explaining to, to them that they weren't smart enough to yeah, understand yeah. literally what's on the page. But the most common thing that we say yeah. to writers when we're working to them is, like, if we, we say, I didn't understand what was happening here between these two people, and they explain it. And the most common thing we're saying to writers is, oh, that's amazing. It's not on the page. So you just need to write that. Mm. So, you know, it's use, it's... Communication. Yeah, and, and asking other people, how is it landing? And if it's not landing the way you intended, going, okay, how can I make that clearer? Rather than saying, oh, okay, I see this. You're not very smart. Let me explain this to you yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's <laughs> a big part of it. And the other thing that we recommend, well, or I recommend as it being a sensitive flower when it comes to early drafts of like my work. Like all of us, really. I think like we all are, like I always, I always take a minute before I work with a writer and I think about the fact that it's something sacred. Mm. It's something that's originated with them that they've created. In other words, it's a little bit of their soul is the way that I think about it. And, you know, Rachel talks about the fact that, you know, we are midwives. Like, so we're trying to help this be um, a process which is going to end up with a process that could be enjoyable and could end up with something really beautiful. So when somebody's showing me that, I tend to ask questions. So I would say to writers, when you show your work to somebody else, say to them, I'm a sensitive flower, (laughs) (laughs) and I don't want you to say I didn't like your character or I thought this was stupid or it was really Mm. derivative or I was bored, because who needs that, right? Even though that may be the reader's (laughs) experience. Ask them to answer questions Mm -hmm. or ask you questions and the questions that we always say is whose story is it what's their life dream what do they want you know and what's their interior battle Mm -hmm. um you know and so there are questions but also always to frame notes when your friends are showing you their work frame your notes back as why is she doing that Mm -hmm. rather than i don't Mm. believe she would do that Mm. yeah yeah, yeah. rachel you talked about the dharma 
Well, just I think what what keeps us going is the absolute pleasure of seeing a writer blossom and the absolute pleasure of witnessing the creative process. I believe that's called dharma in the Buddhist religion. That the, what's the service that you're giving to mm. society? And yeah, I think yeah. that's where we, that's the part of working with writers that we really enjoy is seeing them come forward and, and communicate fulfill, what fulfill potential. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and communicate what that really is inside them that they're that they're trying to get out. Does that happen? I, I like it's that sounds really beautiful, but does. How often does that really happen, where someone really hits, like really hits the church I, bell? I think there's rhythms in in projects, and there's always a bit where you're fed up, and then there's other bits. There's highs and lows. It's a real roller coaster ride, isn't it? I suppose that's it's only for me. Never mind the writer. <laughs> but I, I suppose it's two stages, right? It's like okay, they they've made the script the best it can be, and then there's the execution of it. How often do the two? forces come together and really gel well i just go back to your asking about like that ringing of the church bell you know yeah, yeah. like how often does that happen i have not heard this expression until i went to los angeles and i spend a bit of time there now and they talk about breaking the story mm-hmm. and i was like what you broke the story can, <laughs> can you fix it <laughs> and they meant breaking it open like finding the heart of it yeah. and i found now that when we break the story yeah. um this sounds really affected but the hairs on um, my forearms stand up yeah, yeah. And, but there's a moment in the room and I often say to like because we often work with more than one writer at a time and I'll go can you feel it can you feel it guys yeah that's yeah. it we just broke the story so it was really really difficult to choose just a couple of clips um we have so many and we've had such a variety of people and uh, so many brilliant conversations so it was difficult to kind of pick a few so there's a few just didn't have time to put all the clips together but uh, if you have time or if you haven't listened to ones like Steve Wall um, actor and musician uh, famously of The Stunning and The Walls just a brilliant chat uh, it was uh, very tempting to just talk about his music career but his, his acting career is fascinating as well um, it's, and it's really starting to take off now as well and um, it was really interesting hearing about his uh, his work on the Chet Baker film and um, just a lovely lovely fella um, around that time we also had Claire Dunn a brilliant actor and writer and again her career I think is just about to go mega uh, in the next few months with the, the release of herself um, way back if you go back a bit further if you really want to delve into the, the back catalogue um, some brilliant chats with directors like Vico Nietzsche, Ian Hunt Duffy, um, Tim Wardle of uh, the Three Identical Strangers, which is on Netflix at the moment, and that's a, that's just a brilliant documentary. Um, I remember really enjoying the chat with uh, Kate Dolan, another director who's about to take off. Um, it's really nice hearing from people who. Uh, work in development or work uh, kind of on the other side of application of the application process. So number thirty three, Sarah Dillon was a brilliant one. Number thirty four, Gary Cook, uh, Alison Stitches, um, of uh, Apre Match fame. Um, Pierce Ryan, just off the back around that time uh, of Black Forty Seven. Uh, Jerry Nelson, absolute gentleman. Uh, another kind of. Very hard-working uh, TV directors, always working, lots of nature shows, uh, 
probably most famous in the last few years. He did uh, the game and the history of Irish hurling. Uh, that episode, episode, episode number 29, absolutely brilliant. Um, if you want to go back to that one, I think the game is still on the player. Uh, Nathan Nugent, uh, Le- who works with Lenny Abramson a lot, um, brilliant chat and so insightful into the work of uh, an editor and uh, a guy who's just at the top of his game. Uh, Lee Cronin was a brilliant episode um, and uh, it's great to see how well Hole in the Ground has done and uh, Lee is another person who's just going to have an incredible career. Um, Ken Wardrop, oh, what a <laughs> what another gentleman. Um, talking about set, setting up his his companies, uh, Venom and Antidote, and uh, a really interesting career and has a completely different take on things. Brilliant. Um, Claire Dix, again, who's uh, making her first drama feature at the moment under the POV scheme. Um, Oh, Frank Berry, uh, (laughs) episode number 13. Uh, Yeah, well, probably one of the nicest people working in the business and uh, making incredible films. Um, If you're a fan of Michael Inside or... um, I used to live here, go and listen to that. Uh, So yeah, just jump in and hopefully if you've gotten something out of it, please recommend it to a friend. Um, I'm going to hand over to Paul. He's going to give an intro to his uh, clips after this. Uh, But my last clip is going to be from the Carmel Winters episode. I think it's actually our most listened to episode. Uh, And if you give it a go, you'll see why. Um, Her enthusiasm and her love for film and storytelling is just so infectious. And uh, yeah, she's just quite quite inspiring. Word release is beginning to make complete sense to me. Um, And it's very like, it's very like, the prep and the shoot like I find probably the toughest part of filmmaking prep to be prep you know that late stage um near enough to the you know about two weeks out from the shoot when all the team aren't on yet and I'm talking even now you know immediately we're talking about lower budget when I say that because on a larger budget of course you're all up and running um but when you're so close to the shoot but your team aren't assembled yet yeah so you're heading into a bottleneck of needing to get so much done, but your people aren't there yet. So that's an incredibly tough time. And, it, and I think the minute I start shooting, there's a relief. Right. And a release of energy. Yeah. And it feels the same with this in that I was surprised how, um, I was surprised how much tension I felt about a week ago coming into this. Really? It reminded me a little bit of prep. Yeah. Like I was aware of so much that would need to be done to support the release. And we're in the hands of Eclipse, essentially two fantastic sisters, Claire and Siobhan. Yeah. But we're basically we're going through um, a kind um, a la- th- theirs is a labour of love. We're not talking about the kind of cash that's thrown at a film, you know, usually to make it a hit. Like yeah. the example that would be used is that Billy Elliot in in when Billy Elliot was made, it was made for two million pounds. Mm. Yeah. To put it out in England, four million was spent to market it. Right. Okay? Yeah. Now, the same with the likes of Once. Yeah. yeah. 100,000 to make it, but millions yeah. to put it out there. Yeah. So coming up to this, I was going, oh, wow, we're going out there and all we've got is passion. I'm, I'm, I've become naive again, thinking, 
oh, maybe, maybe, maybe word of mouth will just let this film pop. Yeah. Um, rather well, than two, messes a cash. Two very different animals, though, with Snap. And yeah, two very, very different. Yeah. Can you see any parallels between them? I was thinking about this, actually, mm. and you touched on it on the, in the Q&A, um, the sense of healing. That's mm-hmm. healing is very important in Float Like a Butterfly, especially the the dad mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. And there's a good few years since I saw Snap, but I think that is what I remember. Do you think is there something? Is that does that run through all your your work? Everything I've ever done. Right. I think it's so Kenny of you to basically spot that because I know the genre wise or feeling wise. Like um, apparently, um, somebody said that on. On Arena last night, they were saying you would never think the same filmmaker made Snap and uh, and uh, Float Like a Butterfly. And I was so glad to hear that. But I know I might... I know I'd probably spot myself that kind of very... I have a huge commitment to making healing work. Right. I really do. And yeah. I think because of the kind of sidelining of women in film, words like magic, healing... Mm loving, um, shamanism. Yeah. They, those words have been kind of trivialised. Right, yeah. But I was like, what better reason to get up in the morning yeah. but to do something that could be healing? Yeah. I mean, um, and it doesn't, especially with the goal though in this one, was that it would be successfully disguised as a very entertaining movie. Yeah. Because I was going... It won't reach the people who most want it and need it. Yeah. Otherwise. Yeah. Absolutely. It just won't. And I was going, it won't reach. I was going, there's there's a huge value in an intergenerational audience for this film that in itself will be healing. In Korea, first screening, there were loads of women there. Second screening, I couldn't believe the amount I recognised who came back wow. with their fathers. Wow. That really? was fascinating. Like, I was going, whoa. And, I'd, <laughs> and going into it, I had a huge thing about, like, I'm in some ways kind of unlooking that all of my creative intentions tend to be in, in remarkably conscious. So I, I would specifically think, oh, I'd like to see people come back with family members. Yeah. I'd like that to happen with this film. For, and you'll know why when you see the film. And um, the very first screening in Toronto, a man came up to me and he said... And he was, you know, giving me the hug and thanking me. And he was like, and he just burst out crying. He said, my mother was alive. This is exactly the kind of film I would have wanted to see with her. And I knew why he was saying it. It was like he'd have been able to honour his mother by being there with her. Now I could guess that they'd been through some struggles and some suffering together. I I would be guessing, you know what I mean? People are looking you in the eyes and you're gleaning things and it's not being said. But but those kind of intentions... um, they at least give me an independent way of assessing. When I'm in a room with an audience, the one thing I never, never, never want to feel is when they lose interest and get bored. Film school is not at all necessary for the art or craft. No. But vastly necessary for getting to know other people and to build those relationships. Mm. Like Ken and Andrew. Andrew was Ken's editor first. Isn't that an incredible basis to a producer-director relationship? Yeah, yeah. So I would say, like the Danish um, filmmakers, I would advise my young self to get making work with other people, to find my people. Mm. Find my people. Yeah. 
I can't. I, I'd love. I, I can't even imagine how things might have gone. Yeah. I mean, but you never know. I mean, I mean, maybe it would have been a terrible marriage, <laughs> you know. But yeah, no, it, it makes a huge difference. How you doing? It's Paul here again. Um, so yeah, um, how do you pick? <laughs> how do you pick a conversation that you've had that you've enjoyed from so many people? I mean. <sighs> Number one, I suppose I'm an actor, so I've, from my perspective, it's important to kind of give a, a, I guess, a sample of some advice that would be beneficial not only to directors or creatives, but to actors specifically. So I've chosen kind of three clips um, and I'll I'll just talk you through them all there quickly. Um, We had John Butler on. relatively close to the start of all this and uh, um, he talks he speaks very fondly of his relationship with actors and how important they are and and how much he loves actors I think that's really important so um, John uh, speaks about his own insecurities in terms of directing but also working with actors and his love of actors so that would be the first clip Uh, then after that um, Someone who I know pretty well came on uh, and I've worked with a number of times, Sean Brannigan, who runs the storyboard workshop and is a director in his own right. Uh, A lovely bloke and a funny bastard. Um, But um, what was interesting and surprising in terms of Sean coming on the show was his, uh, number one, humility but um, also his openness in terms of discussing um, his own personal successes and failures and being forthright in terms of how he coped with that and got through that type of thing and how he diversified, not to survive, because he, I'm sure he, could, he, he would have done incredibly well uh, furrowing a, you know, one particular path, but um, uh, just his dedication to... to I suppose revisit a previous uh, skill and 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 bring that to the f- uh, the forefront in terms of his his career going forward. Um, so yeah, a, a fantastic director uh, uh, in his own right, uh, Sean Brannigan. Uh, so there's an interesting kind of piece there about his own personal experiences. And then finally, um, we had uh, Helen Bean on um, from. Uh, Laytown in County Mead, County Mead, um, who is a actor who's just on the up and up and up and up, having worked a couple, being you know discovered, <laughs> for want of a better word, by Shane Meadows in her local pub. Uh, it's a great story, a fantastic actor, and just you know I was really overwhelmed by how um, uh, ordinary and and lovely Helen was. So having the, I mean. I, I've had similar experiences with dozens of people that have come on the show. Uh, Nelly Conroy being being another one. But I just think that... Um, I think Helen's story in particular is really interesting because it's very much a case of somebody not giving up on their dreams, uh, thinking that maybe the, the, uh, the, the train might have left the station in terms of her creative life and just taking a risk and pushing herself and, and, and getting back on the horse... Her credits include uh, This Is England 88 and The Virtues, Shane Meadows' um, TV show on on Channel 4 recently, um, which was a really, really powerful piece of work in terms of uh, analysing 
the psychological effect and 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 PTSD involved in 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 abuse uh, in care in care homes in the Catholic Church and um, and uh, also uh, um, yeah, just uh, some really really brave filmmaking, uh, f- film and TV making uh, from Shane Meadows and and, and great casting uh, in terms of Helen. So yeah. Have a listen to these, uh, give us some feedback um, if you like them and feel free to check back on the previous episodes. Thank you so much for listening. I personally really appreciate it. And um, yeah, keep fighting the good fight in your own careers, but also uh, be kind to each other, especially now that we've had this incredible reality check in our lives. So uh, yeah, hopefully some great stories will come of all this incredible hardship people have are going through at the moment. So yeah. Uh, hashtag we are FNI. Very good. And I should say that that investment by the taxpayer and by the government is repaid, I think, many times over, mm. both in terms of the cultural impact of our storytelling, but also the, in, yeah. in dollars and cents, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the, I, don't, I don't think Screen Ireland's role can be underestimated. And I've been very uh, fortunate in terms of what I've gotten from them as well. Mm. And again, I'd like to think that I repaid that, but it's... Uh, it's a great model that I think is really rewarding, and mm. and and the reputation that it has uh, abroad is is very interesting. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's come you, up yeah. absolutely. You go to America, and um, every independent producer knows about it. Everybody has an eye on a way to possibly come and you know <laughs> le- leverage some money by shooting here or by attaching a piece of cast. It's very much in the in the in, in foremost in in people's minds globally. You know. Yeah, yeah. And that's amazing for a country of our of our. So you find yourself lending a lot of people money in America. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) personally. (laughs) But no, it's fantastic. It's an amazing. uh, It's an amazing thing. And I mean, I obviously would say that this is not me uh, singing for my supper. It does happen to be true. And you know, uh, I think uh, I don't know. Particularly in the last, I would say, six or seven years, we're starting to see stories that aren't about Irishness mm-hmm. necessarily. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, and, and that, to me, speaks of a certain confidence in our storytelling ability that is the result of years of support and of a, of a, of a certain kind of confidence within yeah. our business. It coming to fruition. Does, yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Yeah, that we're not going for the American audience or we're not trying to do those. No, we have our own identity now. Yeah, we're going to yeah. push that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Or, and that we're, we're willing to just have the um, presence of Irish creative talent be the definition of an Irish film, mm-hmm. which is, I think, absolutely right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I heard you talk before. I heard, yeah. uh, <laughs> I heard a rumour. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you're about. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned the importance of kind of Befriending actors and knowing actors. Mm. Uh, Do you like actors? We all have our crosses to bear, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so how, how does that? Like, I love actors, actually. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're magic. How has that fed into your own career? You know, oh, it's everything. Col- collaboration. I suppose that support structure as well. Yeah, yeah and they want to work, uh, and you want to see your work made Mm. so it's mutually beneficial but also actors are writers in the sense in the way that they improvise with you when you're down the pub I'm talking about this is not a work (laughs) thing but like just conversationally they're creative people Um, so so I think at the outset of one's career um, it's important to have that type of um, complimentary creative voice near you and around you so you can just um, talk about things that that are um, interesting to both of you and then when it comes to work you know if you know actors, then you can write into the characteristics of theirs that you like the best, and, and it, it's rewarding to you in that way. So 
it's been big for me, definitely. Um, and then when you get onto the set, I just think actors are are uh, acrobats, you know, to watch them do something. You know, with the best piece of writing, the best uh, screenplay will have moments that require some uh, bridging. There's always a join in a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Every couple of pages is a thing that has to be a certain um, give or a certain kind of leap of faith that has to be um, convinced in the audience by the actor. And the way that they do that is it, it is like a, an acrobat. The way they can get over that and, and through the way that they perform <laughs> during that join, mm. they can make you understand something that isn't actually on the page. I don't know yeah. if I'm expressing it exactly right, but I think it's a kind of magic when you see it work. Yeah, They have a way of um, of making your writing seem uh, fluid and... Uh, it's mm. just a joy, yeah. You know, and you have bad days, and you have people that you get on with less so and, and more so. But that's all the experience yeah. of being on the film set, which is just yeah. great. You know? Yeah, and yeah, you obviously understand the pressure. Like the, the film is so much on their backs as much as it is on the director. But for the, mm. you, how know, do you how do you phases. stay how do you stay calm in those circumstances? I went blind during Handsome Devil. <laughs> uh, temporarily went blind. Really? Yeah, we were shooting the cheerleading scene. I don't know uh, if you guys have seen it, but it's yeah, yeah, yeah. so 300 kids in a hall. Yeah. So already stress is off the right. scale. Yeah, yeah. Because they're like 15-year-old uh, boys. Shut so up! It's just, <laughs> and there's also all the, all the repressed trauma of being in school is being brought yeah, like, oh, coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember being at the monitor and the first AD was like hoarse from screaming. But it was that thing of like, if you scream too often... It, mm. it then has no value. You mm. may as well just not say anything. Yeah. So he was just screaming. And that, so that was another level of stress in my ear. And the monitor was in the corner of the gym behind a little curtain. And I remember looking at it and I actually, <laughs> my vision wow. was blurry, uh, which I guess is like uh, something to do with my heart or my brain or whatever. <laughs> but I temporarily lost the ability to see. And that was um, really cool. <laughs> yeah so no I'm not I'm better at managing stress that was the most stressful situation I've been in although there's been others um, I do it by um, reminding myself that I, it's my own fault <laughs> yeah right I yeah. put myself here yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I wrote the thing yeah I wrote the thing knowing that it was going to be a halfway up a mountain in November or yeah. knowing why or knowing Z you yeah. know I so mm-hmm. and also it's it's mine so if I can get through this thing yeah it'll be fine you know did so obviously, Handsome Devil is your most personal film. Did that add to the stress? Did that make it? You know, are you able to be a bit more mercenary on other films? Well, they've all been personal in different ways. Yeah. The stag is very personal uh, in some of the characterizations, and Papichulo, when when you see it, and is uh, is deeply personal mm. too. So, yeah, but I don't, I don't know what, I, what, why, but I don't have any anxieties about the personal stuff. Okay. Right. I almost feel like if it, if it feels like eye wateringly <laughs> you, then you're in. That's the sweet spot, right? You know. Yeah, and yeah. if you feel like you can't believe the level of embarrassment, then you know you're doing something good because you're exposing something, and so that's kind of great. I think that doesn't generate stress. But the first day of the first film, so the stag, the first day of the stag, we shot the fight scene between Andrew Scott's character and Hugh O'Connor's character, which is like a nine-page dialogue scene where everyone's naked and it's in the woods and it was <laughs> November. And the first shot of the first day, we had two step ladders, two, sorry, big ladders going up, excuse me, and leaning against the boughs of a tree yeah. in a forest. And we were an hour and a half late because of weather and bits and pieces. And we finally got the thing blocked and we were ready to go. And we, shot, we ran a take 
and this is just the top shot. This is the establishing shot, you yeah. know. So we were burned <laughs> yeah. to take. And I was like, great, uh, let's get down off these fucking ladders and get into the singles and get going on this film. Yeah. And uh, Peter Robertson, the DP, just turned to me and said, That's, we can't use any of that. And I was like, why can't we use it, Peter? And he's like, well, this is just fog on the lens. So we had to get down and clean oh. the lens and da-da-da-da, reset so a completely unusable uh, long take so we had to get back up the ladders and go again <laughs> and we 10 seconds into the next take which is probably take six at this point yeah and a dog so there were some ramblers nearby who had their dog off the lead and he ran into the set and just made shit of it for five minutes running around grabbing props like adorable Jack Russell <laughs> yeah. grabbing oh, that's like so a, cute. Yeah. yeah and people laughing and yeah. <laughs> and I was up the ladder and I remember oh, here we go. honestly thinking at that point like the mechanics of of resigning from this film how do I like can how, I get, can I get out of this yeah and I was thinking well so I honestly remember going through it going I'd have to get down off the ladder <laughs> and probably Peter Robertson would be the first person that I'd I'd give my regrets to like shake his hand and just go listen that's yeah. it's been great Thanks. we had a great so, run I that just, Ronnie O'Sullivan thing you know when he just gave up during the game yeah I have yeah. enough that's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, see good luck with everything I'm, and it I'm was aware. only the it was the problem was the, it was merely the fact that I couldn't see myself going around and explaining it to 35 people. <laughs> and that's why I'm now still a film director. So I, was like, there, there, I couldn't not do stuck. it. <laughs> yeah, completely. Oh. You're committed, you know, you're in the, you're in, to use the poker analogy, you're, you're pot committed. You have yeah. to. Oof. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that, that, but I'm, I feel like I'm in a different place psychologically now. Mm. Yeah. A huge part for me was living and with an actress who, is consistently busy and consistently rejected like the rest of us but you know you don't hear with actors you don't mm -hmm. hear about all the auditions that they don't get and mm -hmm. the thing is like on a sometimes on a weekly basis uh well not not necessarily on a weekly basis but she'd come home and there'd be something that she really wanted to get and she didn't get it and i just see her like physically dust her shoulders off and move on mm -hmm. and i remember right. thinking that was really inspiring yeah but in fairness to Amy, that was this. She, there was the separation between Amy the person and Amy the actress. So she wasn't being rejected. It's just what she was given on that day yeah. didn't work. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I found that very. It's the paper she handed in to get graded. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Great advice. I think yeah. Brian Cranston had a great one. He was just like, when I go for an audition, I just do what I do, and then it's up to them if they want it or not. Yeah. <laughs> Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, he, yeah. I think he that he said he I think he said he had a moment where that dawned yeah, on him. Yeah. And then it was just a case of Yeah. I'm gonna do this thing. Yeah. And if this works for you, great. If not, we yeah, won't fall yeah, out. Yeah. So it's not really a rejection, it's just yeah. that's not what we're looking for. Yeah. And it can that can be easier said than done, but it's something sure. to strive for, I think. For sure, yeah. 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 Do you have a motto? Um No. It's <laughs> a good one. No, sorry. Yeah, just no. Say, no, I mean, sorry. No. Just say no to everything. <laughs> just say no. <laughs> wink, wink. Can only, um, things can only get better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of position do you think the Irish uh, film industry is in at the moment? Do you think it's healthy? Is there anything out there that's kind of who's kind of floating your boat or exciting you or who's um, doing good work or? There you go, there's 10 minutes. Ago. I saw that uh, on your, um, the people who'd been on already, I was saying I feel like I'm in really good company. Okay. I saw <coughs> excuse me, Frank Berry's film. Uh, Michael Suit. Inside? 
Snow or, suicide. Oh, uh, I used to live here. I used to live yeah, here. Yeah, I haven't seen Michael inside yet. That's I used great. to live here. Well, I thought that was incredible. Yeah, and 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 and, and it's a hard sell. Yeah, oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that's 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 one of the problems I think that we have at the moment in terms of the industry. I think things have changed an awful lot. I think the stories and the character stuff has been told on the small screen. Yeah. I think uh, Marvel are keeping the cinemas open, which which a good point. I yeah. can't give it. I love I love those Marvel films. I can't stand in it. They've made a big mistake with all the DC things. Yeah. But the Marvel stuff is really. I mean, they're they're good films. You enjoy them. They're for everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And they're well put together. They're crafted well. Um, but that's where you're going. That's why. That's why I'm going to the flicks now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm not like I don't know if I would go and see Before Sunset in the cinema if mm. it came out tomorrow, right? Because that's because I know I could get it on Netflix in a week's yeah. time, and I kind yeah. of, in a way, I hate to say that because the cinema going experience was a huge thing for me. But mm. now um, it's just there's just so much good stuff happening on the small screen. It's difficult. Sometimes I think the arcs are too big and too long. Mm. Like uh, I love Daredevil. I it was like 13 episodes of Daredevil. It's like 13 hours of Daredevil. That's too much. Just, just too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. you get a lot of filler, a lot of fat you could trim out of that. Mm. So that's the disadvantage I think to TV is that there's too much freedom for these huge character arcs and red herrings left, right, and center. So there's a lot to be said for the structure and the tightness of a two-hour, 120-minute mm. piece on screen. But I think in Irish Irish films, they used to, to answer your question. There used to be a time when you'd see the slate of the Irish films coming out, and you'd be like, oh. Do you know, yeah. Gives, yeah, yeah, gives a bit of color. Yeah, I remember one year we went to um, we were in the Galway Film Flat, and you know it's great. There's great stuff happening there. But we went up to the Omniplex just to get a dose of butter popcorn and whatever. Do you know? You sometimes you just need that. You can't. There's too much heavy stuff and yeah, yeah. too much psychological. Too stuff. much important social dramas and yeah, which which has its place. Yeah, but I think but now I feel like you look at like the cured. Yeah, um, have you seen at, it? Not yet. Mm. Uh, and Amy is in it as well. It we're, we're yeah. trying to, where did you, how can I see it? Where did you see it? iTunes. iTunes. Okay, great. I'll watch that tonight. Uh, when you see stuff like that, and you go, oh, "Okay, we're starting to." It feels like we're starting to get it now. That it's, yeah, you know, that don't we, write what you know anymore. Well, you know? not just that, but I you think. know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. be confined by your circumstances. But in terms of genre as well, mm. yeah, you do you do a film that's. Um, that could be from any country. It just happens to be in Ireland, set in Ireland, and have Irish people in it. Yeah, I don't think that was always the case. Yeah. I feel like there was I always an conversa- Irish I had angle. this conversation with my ma the other night because she was watching The Cured with me, <clears throat> and she was like, "Why is she? Why is she? Uh, is the, is the lady American?" I was like, "Because she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she doesn't have to be uh, right. Irish. Yeah. yeah, you know. Do you believe her?" And she was like, "Yeah." And I was yeah. like, "Then why are you questioning?" Because we have Americans here. Yeah, they live here. <laughs> There's they, some of them around. I've yeah, seen some they, of them. Around. Yeah, they, 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 you know, they, they fraternize amongst us. Yeah, well, yeah. they're all fleeing Trump land. So. But, that, but that type of thing. Now, obviously, there's, you know, particularly with that movie, there's an eye on distribution and all sorts of things going on, which they have to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, and as well, getting back to TV and the, and the small screen, golden age of TV and all that kind of stuff, there's also some wonderful kind of cross-pollination mm-hmm. um, with, for example, I'm watching a Castle Rock at the moment, Stephen mm-hmm. King thing. Um, uh, I got a hold of an episode, wink, wink, 
Um, yeah, fell off the back of a truck. <laughs> Quite literally, <laughs> off a coal truck. Um, <laughs> yeah, my hands are still dirty as a result of it. But um, yeah, um, I love the idea of mixing media, mixing ideas, taking stuff. Uh, there's so much more scope in terms of... Uh, in terms of the small screen now, is that an area where you that you'd like to get into? Yeah, as long as as long as the the story suited it. Yeah, like I don't think you, I don't think it'd be right to 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 write a feature, write a good feature, a structured, yeah, solid piece of art, and then reformat it for the small screen or yeah. split it up into. Another well, that never episode. works that well, does it? No, it's kind of like so. I think look at your story, look at your characters. What's the story you're telling? What's your theme? And then figure out what format it suits best I think yeah what happened was he, we used to not so much anymore um, frequent our local pub um, tiny Hamlet in western Pennsylvania a tiny little pub in Betty's town called McDonough's and um, we went down this one particular night and there was uh, some people there of interest to the public, some celebrities. It's one. Of, I believe it or not, I know that pub quite well. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, barman that used to work there, Joe Farrell, is uh, a good mate of mine. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, I know, I've been in there many times. It's uh, it's owned by a pal of ours, but the lads play music, and we were down there this particular night anyway. And um, so there was these people there that were filming locally, and they were staying in the area, and they were in the pub. And so Anya, um, one of the girls that was working there at the time, said, "Come down and play some music." put on a show for the visitors so we went down the lads were playing music we were having a few drinks and next of all my friend Esmond said to me over at the bar is Shane Meadows and I didn't know what he looked like I have to put my hand up I knew his work Deadman's shoes etc etc loved it yeah but I couldn't have picked him out my friend did and um did I just you, did. You buy your friend a pint? I bought him lots of pints since. I tell you, <laughs> he said that's him, and I just said I ca- I can't believe it. And actually, I got talking to him before me, and he said, I "Want you to meet this girl or whatever?" So I went up, and he's so sound. I can't even tell you. I feel so sorry for people that haven't met him or worked with him because <laughs> he's just the soundest dude ever. And I thought this, you know, no matter what happens, I just have to get up. I have to get up there and say hello. So I went up to the bar. Ended up having a few baby Guinnesses and a few other things and having great crack. And uh, as the night wore on, there was loads of shit going on there that night. Um, This fella was going around talking to all the lasses, putting his hand in their bags, robbing their purses. Jesus Christ. And my sister was one of the ones (laughs) whose purse got robbed. And it all kind of, mid-conversation with Shane Meadows, this all kicked off. She came up to me and she said, this fucker's after robbing everybody's purse. And her boyfriend at the time was squaring up to him and it was all going off and Shane just thought this was hilarious he said <laughs> this is like any pub I've been in Nottingham I feel at home so we'd great crack your man got rumbled the purses got returned and we had a great night and towards the end I thought this is this could be my only chance to talk to somebody you know this important in the industry I have mm-hmm. to I have to ask brazen as be damned with a few drinks on board but um I said you know what are the chances and he said to me uh I don't know, can you act? <laughs> and I said, uh, I haven't a clue. And he said, give me your details, write down your number. I ha- got a bit of till receipt off the last behind the bar and wrote down my name and number and give me an in, I put on the end of it. And he said to me, oh, we're working on something at the moment. I might have something in mind. And I was kind of laughing. Yeah, yeah, ah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Say that to everybody. Me, yeah. But I was hoping, and he 
I kind of noted he, he folded it very carefully, put it in his wallet, and I thought, mm, maybe that means something. And it did mean something because two months later he rang me to go over to audition for this thing in 88. Wow. And I was violently ill with nerves, really. Like I said, I've asked for this and Christ, I'm out of my depth. What am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. I actually have to go. And I just decided fight through the nerves, fight through the vomit and get over there do whatever he wants me to do and see what happens. So and trust yourself and trust his judgment. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's what everybody was saying to me. I was in a panic and they were saying, look, at he obviously saw something. He wants to see what you have, so show him. <laughs> so I went into a room. I remember going over um, to England and I'd been watching them all the night before trying to kind of get myself into, you know, this is England mode and get myself mm-hmm. ready. And um, sure, I was totally intimidated. And they're all lovely. They were so sound. But I was just like a fish out of water. But went up and did uh, about a 20-minute improv with Vicky McClure. And he just kind of said, this is what I want you to talk about. He didn't give us a script or anything. It was just a chat, like me and you sitting here. This is the subject matter. Talk about this, go. And so I kind of kept looking over, going, am I doing all right, you know? (laughs) And he was just waving his hand. Get on with it, get on with it. So... uh, after about 20 minutes he sat back in the chair and he said you're in Ah. that was it that was it I said it can't be that easy he said it is do you want it I said yes please thanks very much and did you like did you have ambitions when you were younger absolutely yeah sure in my own mind I was going to Hollywood at 15 I did school plays I was Eliza Doolittle in my school play I gave (laughs) that some I can tell you and I loved it I loved perform and I remember feeling on stage at 15 of course you have loads of confidence at 15 standing on the stage thinking this is where I live this is what I want to be doing and then another uh, after that drama was finished and it was great we had a visiting um, priest who was a drama teacher and he brought us all up to the common area upstairs I don't know why this sticks out in my mind but anyway he, he was had us all doing improv stuff upstairs and greedy for the limelight I <laughs> jumped into the another middle another opening, another show <laughs> jazz hands <laughs> I jumped in and was just giving it everything and he pulled me aside at the end and he said if you don't follow this it's a sin so I said okay and then I, so it was always in my mind and then I went to college because that's a more attainable you know, went to be a nurse, trained to be a nurse. It's a more mm-hmm. attainable career uh, when you don't know lots of people in Hollywood. And um, really, uh, in hindsight, should I or should should I not have gone down that road? I don't know. It's worked out very well for me, but I'm fully aware this is a totally unorthodox route. Yeah. But went to train to be a nurse. Uh, because the yearning was there in the background, um, my husband used to get me courses in the gaiety and Ah. you know different little bits just so I could keep my hand in but that was really as far as I had gotten until I was 30-ish Okay. I won't tell you how far away I am. It's none of my business, and a gentleman doesn't ask. (laughs) Well, it's been ten years since then, but uh, so that chance meeting actually was my do or die moment. Really, I thought I'm getting lazy about it. This is right here. Go for it. So that's. It's. I I think it's a wonderful story in terms of following whatever stage you're at in life. Yeah. Following what you're actually passionate about. Absolutely. That's not to say that you weren't passionate or obviously fantastic in your other job, your other career, and I think. Uh, judging by the sound, judging by some stuff that I've read about you and also, uh, you know, just listening to your, what you've said there, 
obviously empathy uh, that you would have in your work plays a huge part in terms of your new or your continuing career. Of course. I think I would have been a different actress had I have started at 1920. I certainly, like, I mean, God bless them. They have so much energy and confidence and I'm really envious of that because obviously the more you age, the less confident, not for everybody, but yeah. certainly my confidence would have waned over the years un- until this started happening. But absolutely, like, 1920 is the time to go for it when you're you know, full of everything and you can give everything and you have Mm -hmm. no ties and attachments. But going in at 30 brings a certain levity with it. And I suppose because (laughs) of the career, you have life experience and you have, certainly because of my job, I had... um, a humili- I humility, I guess? Maybe empathy. Yeah, definitely. I, I would be that type of person anyway. Um, maybe because I'm a nurse, maybe because that was my other calling. I was bound for one or the other, and now I'm thankfully trying to nail down both. But it it did certainly help, because I don't know whether I'd mentioned to Shane that night I, I am a nurse, or whether, because when he was writing with Jack Thorne for This Is England, he said, um, maybe Lal goes to see a nurse, Vicky McClure's character, and mm-hmm. Shane said, I've met her. So I don't know whether I'd said to him or whether he, whatever vibe he got off me, he thought I'd be good in that role. But I've learned since he does kind of, um, you know, tap into what you're saying and use okay. it against you. <laughs> <laughs> Manipulate you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but so I was able for that. I was able for that character. And then I suppose my confidence... Well, he focused, I that. guess he focused, he saw something in you, but he focused on your your strengths yes. in, initially. Yes, and I think that's what he does with everybody. He's able yeah. to bring the best out of everybody. And that's just evident in, in the virtues, you know. Mm. 